0: The slogan of the United Negro College Fund since 1972 is, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. But my guest doesn't waste anybody's mind. He just plays with it. Banachek performs Banachek's Mind Games Live at the Strat Hotel Casino and Skypod Wednesdays through Mondays at 5 p.m. for ticket information. And everything about Banachek, go to Banachek, which is B-A-N-A-C-H-E-K. Banachek.com. And you can follow him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And Banachek, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, my friend. I'm really excited to be speaking with you. This is going to be fun because I have no mind left, so I know you can't play games with mine, but...
1: <laughs> I, I, most most days I don't either. So <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a kid, I've got a wife, I've got a dog, I've got a lizard. I've right, got, yeah,
0: exactly. A,
1: a chameleon, and you know, I, <laughs> my, my like with a kid, is just crazy. So,
0: yeah. Well, you thought that I was wanting you on the show because of your unique talent and your education and your background, but no, I wanted you on because of your unique accent, because oh, you were thanks. born. I appreciate that. Absolutely, yes. you were you were born in England, and then yes. you were schooled in South Africa and the United States. So you have a very unique. And Australia
1: in the middle of that as well. So
0: it's (laughs) it's very
1: eclectic. I'm kind of a mutt. I'm a little everything. So, yeah. (laughs) I didn't really have a home until I started performing. And then the stage became my home. So,
0: yeah. There you go. How long have you been in Las Vegas?
1: I, oh, well, that, you see, that's a really... Everything about me is so complicated. That's a complicated answer. Um, no, that's uh, a complicated question.
0: They,
1: <laughs> no, the question's easy. It's the answer. So uh, I worked on Chris Angel's TV shows uh, in the early days, Mind Freak. I was the magic consultant for him, which means we sat in a room. We had to come up with about 300, 350 tricks in two weeks. We get two weeks off and then I'd have to figure out how to do it I did that for three years so pretty much I would say the last 15 years I've spent more time here in Vegas than anywhere else Uh, I decided to buy a place here and that was about approximately five years ago so permanently five years but uh, spent more time here than anywhere else I was living in Houston Texas before that
0: so the place you decided to buy here was the strat right well, I didn't buy at the Strat. <laughs> I wish I could afford the Strat, but I can't.
1: <laughs> no, but I do have a residency at the
0: Strat. Right, yes. you're performing there, as we mentioned. And it's an unusual schedule. It's Wednesdays through Mondays at five. I think five is a great time, actually, for a show for a number of reasons. But I'll let you explain. It's it's an interesting
1: challenge because five is an interesting time. But at the same, I used to be at four o'clock, and four was really a difficult time because people were checking in at hotels three and four mm-hmm. o'clock. And and it's also one of the reasons why we used to be dark on Fridays because people are driving in from LA, they don't want to go see a show, they want to eat, they're tired, or people are flying in, they don't know if they're going to be able to make a show on Friday, so they tend to schedule their shows on Saturdays. So most people tend to be dark on Fridays. We're now open on Fridays. But once Xavier left the room, I bumped up to the five o'clock position, which is a much better position to be in because now people have checked into the hotel rooms and they can come and see a show. It's also the perfect time
0: because right after my show, they can still go to dinner. Yes, it's a perfect timing. And again, yeah, if they check in, they say, hey, you know what? We grab the show real quick and have our minds played with. So, exactly, yeah. Did you consider yourself a mentalist? I know that you were exposed to magic at an early age but do you consider yourself a magician first and a mentalist second or both co-equal?
1: No, actually, I'm the only mentalist, well, that I know of that came from a mentalism background and then learned magic later on in their years. Most of them start in magic and then they go into mentalism. Um, and that came about because when I was a kid, I guess I should give you a little bit of background Please. on me. So I was born in England, left when I was nine. South Africa seven years. And it's while I was in South Africa that there was this man who claimed he could bend metal objects with his mind and he became famous all around the world. His name was Yuri Geller for doing this. He said that he was gonna be on the radio, Springbok Radio in South Africa, and that he was gonna teach people in their homes to bend metal themselves. Well, I had been abandoned while I was nine. I had two brothers a year and three years old, so why wouldn't I want to bend metal objects, right? <laughs> um, so I went around the room. I found a little needle, brought it to the radio, and uh, he said, concentrate on it. And I concentrated on it. And I believe that it had actually bent on a micro level. It wasn't until a few years later, uh, I went to Australia and then I moved to Colorado. And it was all while I was in Colorado. I picked a book up by, by James the Amazing Randy. And it was called The Truth About Yuri Geller. And he said, The truth about Yuri Geller is that Geller was nothing more than a magician posing as a psychic. That moment I got really upset, not at anybody else, but at myself because Mm -hmm. I had believed it was real because everybody around me had believed that it was real. I learned a valuable lesson in that moment. I learned that just because people, uh, you know, are educated and in a position of authority doesn't always make them correct. Mm -hmm. And so it was from that book that I figured out a couple of ways to bend a nail, to bend some keys. And uh, I started doing that at school, and then I started creating ways to bend metal objects where it looked like I was bending them with my mind to the point where the kids stole all the silverware from the cafeteria, and I got in trouble for that. I figured a way to make the school bell go off early by shorting wires in the hallway, but I told everybody I was doing it with my mind. I then wrote Randy a letter and said, hey, if you ever need a kid to try to fool scientists into believing this stuff is real, only to come out and say that it was all a hoax, I would be more than happy to do so, because of the climate of psychic phenomena back in the 70s and the 80s was huge i mean you had in search of on tv you had everybody believing that this stuff was real you had uh the soviet union which we had the iron curtain back then they were putting out their propaganda on psychic phenomena so the u.s government got involved you've heard of the movie stare at goats uh the minute stare at goats uh it was called the uh star project uh, well not star project man i can't think of the name of it right now well anyway you can look it up and uh, they were investigating psychic phenomena washington university was given a half a million dollars to study psychic phenomena so i said well here's my opportunity so I went in for four years. I convinced the scientists I was a genuine psychic, only to come out and say it was a hoax <laughs> after four years. And the reason we did that is because scientists have lamented for years, there's no evidence of ESP on a proper scientific protocol due to lack of funding. And it was my contention. Funding had nothing to do with it, it had to do with their biases. They were going in believing, not using proper science to document it. And uh, also because they had a PhD, they thought they were too smart to be fooled. And basically, those <laughs> two conclusions, those two hypotheses right there were absolutely 100% correct. Well, did the, such a big did, did the scientists that. ever speak to you after that? Uh, I did talk to one of them much years later. In fact, right after it came out, they wouldn't answer their phone. We had a big meeting at the Time Life building. It ended up being in every college textbook. Uh, it was huge. It was really huge. Changed parapsychology forever. Even the CIA put out a note because uh, they were doing their own studies and trying to say they weren't associated with our studies. And I did speak to them, and they were like, well, what about this? What about this? What about just trying to hold on to hope for one little thing that they could say was genuine. Yeah, I, unfortunately, it ruined their careers. There's a great podcast, and I hate to push people out of the podcast as well, but if you want to know more go, about go ahead. Mover, yeah. we could go on for hours on this, but it's called The World's Greatest Con, and it starts with episode 301, and there's actually six episodes there. And I'll give you a complete background of that entire story, and it's really from the perspective of Two kids that got in way over their heads and uh, didn't know how to get out of a situation. So, and I'll leave you with that teaser. Okay,
0: no, that's good. I'm surprised that you you didn't take advantage of all that Cold War stuff at the time and tried to bend the Iron Curtain.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that would have if, if only it was that flimsy, right? It's great going to bring that down. So, yeah, yeah. I, you part... know, I'm also in charge of as a result of that with James Brandy. I became very close friends of his. And I still i am president of the James Randi Educational Foundation, where we have a million dollars for any psychic that can perform anything under proper scientific protocol. And you would ask me, see, I did this again. I went off on a tangent. That's okay. I'll keep, about, I'll keep you on track. I'll keep you on track. You me about mentalism and magic. Right. So when I started out back in the 1970s, there were very few mentalists. In fact, mentalist was not a term that anybody would know, not till AGT started having mentalists on the anybody know what it was. We were sort of thought of psychic entertainers. And every mentalist that I knew wanted people to believe that they were real. But I had this ethical dilemma with that. And you'll see that if you come to my show. You know, I tell you it's not real while I'm convincing you that it is real. We can touch more on that in a minute if you want to. Um, but I was the first one to say that this isn't real. I was said I'm taking my five known senses to create the illusion of a sixth sense. I use verbal communication, nonverbal communication, magic, psychology, and I mix it all together to create the illusion that I am reading your minds to the point to where I'm getting social security numbers, I'm getting birth dates, I'm playing Russian roulette with knives. I'm blindfolded and I can tell you what people are holding over my head. So it's, it's, I was the first one to do that. And in the beginning, so many mentalists were upset at me and they said, there's no place for a fake mentalist. But then I was getting entertainer of the year in the college market two years in a row, novelty entertainer. And they went. Well, Banachek's the exception. I'm like, if I'm the exception, you can all do it as well. And so now uh Darren Brown over in the UK, he adopted that. It became huge. And almost every single mentalist now adopts that approach that mm-hmm. they're using psychology. The problem is a lie is a lie is a lie, right? We're not just using pure psychology, we're also using magic as well. So you have to do, you have to incorporate that you are using tricks. And I think that's the ethical way to entertain people with this type of
0: Well, don't you, when you say magic and tricks, it almost demeans magic. I think magic is at a higher level than, quote-unquote, tricks. In other words, you're using certain techniques, maybe that would be a better term, to create the illusion.
1: The bottom line is, it all comes down, it's a trick. That's the bottom line. It does, you know, some people, a lot of mentalists would argue that that cheapens it. But it's kind of like um, magic used to have such a bad connotation. You know, if you said you were a magician, they thought you were like a Uncle Charlie that did these really bad party tricks, right? And it wasn't until they saw you perform these amazing things like David Blaine, David Copperfield, or Chris Angel, that they go, oh, that's what magic can be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and it's the same thing with mentalism as well. Even though I say it's a trick, and it is a trick, yeah, it sort of demeans it at first until they actually see me perform. And then they want to say, no, you're lying. You're lying to us. This is real. And I, I, I kinda like that. I like that, that when they do that, but I will come back and tell them no and maybe give them one of two examples of what it is that I'm doing. And do I mean, they like do a, they
0: get do they get it at that point, Banishek? Do they once you explain Not, it not
1: always. Some people do. Look, here's the thing, right? You're gonna have a large group of people that are gonna come to my show and they're gonna believe no matter what I say. They're true believers, they're gonna believe no matter what I say. They're gonna think I'm lying and that I'm a genuine psychic. Even some of the scientists actually said that. And then you got a group of people that are skeptics that are not going to believe no matter what, but there's this large portion in the middle that never seen anything like what I do. And I become the authoritative person on stage. What I say it is, that's what it is to them. So I right. feel like I have an obligation to remind them that, hey, this is just fantasy. This is just entertainment. I don't, I don't want to change people's belief systems while I'm on stage. That's not my job. No, you want to job- entertain them. Exactly right. exactly right. That's my job. And quite a few mentalists forget that. They think their job is to convince people that they're genuine psychics, and they forget about the entertainment aspect.
0: Do you find that during your show, and again, it's called Banachek's Mind Games Live at the Strad Hotel Casino in Skypod, and again, weird, weird times, Wednesdays through Mondays, 5 p.m. I had to think that through as I... Talk to you about yeah.
1: It's weird for me when you say Wednesday through Thursday. Like right. I'm used to just saying I'm dark on
0: Tuesdays. Yeah, yeah You could do that too. That's, Five p.m. That's of the other day. When yeah. you say
1: Wednesday through Friday, I, I, Friday, I, <laughs> I did
0: the calculation. No, no. Wednesday through Monday.
1: Well, Wednesday through Monday. See, right. there you go. There you go. Dyslexic. Yeah. Funny thing is, I'm, I'm a mentalist, but I'm dyslexic.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. I really am. <laughs> You're yeah. reading my mind backwards. It's uh... <laughs> you're thinking of god no wait a minute you're thinking of a dog <laughs> that's correct yes but you know it's either way it's entertaining and it works very well i want to show you how it's a small world because you talked about bending spoons and yuri geller and i've been doing this way long because yuri was on my show about i think five years ago he's an entertainer and he's very good as an entertainer oh, charming yeah very charming guy but it's a small world how that works do you do you incorporate that in the act where you talk about Bending spoons and forks. And do you actually bend them on stage as well?
1: Yeah. So that's the moment that I bring a little kid up and I give them the ability to bend a fork or a spoon. A kid 13 years or younger, I always like the eight or nine years olds. Right. And to me, it's the cutest. It's the funnest part of my show for me because to see their reaction when they're, they think they're actually doing something. Right. It's to me just, just the, the most precious moment. You know, speaking of Gallo, I've met Gallo a few times. I went to go into his house on the Thames one time, and I was with a good friend of mine. And um Geller has this Cadillac, and this Cadillac has all these bent spoons, some from the Pope, <laughs> and just from all these famous rock stars. Right. And he's welded them or glued them to this car. Yeah, he talked about that. Check. You must bend a fork for me, you know, and uh, we're standing outside. Most people, uh, you know, around their tree, they'll either have uh, pieces of bark or something like that. He's got a tree with all this silverware all the way around the tree. And uh, keep in mind that there's a bench here. There's me and my friend right there. Yellow turns around to get me a fork and he gives it to me and I bend it. And he's seen a lot of metal bending, but I've created most of the metal bending. You see how the metal benders do it. If you see him doing a twist or the tine or any of those, even Geller's using some of my bends now, but he hands me a, a, a fork and I bend it. And I can tell he's impressed even though he's seen a lot of it. And then I put it on the table off to the side. And then Geller sees my friend He says, oh, you should bend one, two. And he reaches around and he does it pretty quick. And as he turns around, I'm like a gazelle. I couldn't do it again. I reach over and I put a bigger bend in that fork and I move back. Even my friend next to me didn't see it It was so fast. And you see Geller come up and you see him look and you see his eyes get big because he wants to say to me, how the heck did you do that so fast? But because he wants people to believe that it's real, there's no way he can say that. So he goes, oh, my God, look, it's bending, it's bending. So I, I, I fooled Geller in that moment, so which was nice.
0: Well, I think it's interesting that you two could get together and get along, even though you you were, in essence, exposing what he was doing.
1: Yeah, I, I you know, I think ethically uh, and morally a lot of what he is doing wrong. Uh, it, it, and, and it really hurts the science. Says a lot of people say, oh, he didn't hurt it that bad. But he, he really, really did. There was a lot of wasted money that was out there. It's like mediums, right? I expose a lot of fake frauds with that million dollars that I have, um, and and I'll go after the the mediums really hard because I tend to think, and I, go, I know this is going to sound bad, but I I think they're scum because basically what they're doing is they're hurting people. People say, well, they make them feel good. I'm like, you know what? I give crack to a junkie. It's going to make him feel good. It's not good for him. People have to go through this grieving process to be able to be there with a living, and they're halting that process. I had a really good friend who had a kid that died of cancer, and I hate to bring this down, but I do need to point this out. And um, she had a big hole in her heart, understandably. And so she went to a medium, and the medium convinced her that she could actually talk to her dead son. She almost lost her husband. She almost mm-hmm. lost her two daughters in the living because she got so stuck with this. Luckily, she came to her senses. They do a lot of damage, and it's all for self-fame and, and money, and uh, mm-hmm. I'll expose them at every any chance that I get.
0: When you got involved with the Randy Foundation, I mean, James Randy's been known as a um, expert in terms of demystifying this whole subject and exposing yep. people too. He used to appear on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson a lot over yep. the years as well. What kind of a man was he from your point of view? So
1: again, if you listen to that podcast, you'll find out a lot about Randy. Uh, Randy was a, a very, probably one of the best self promoters in the entertainment industry. Uh, the skeptic movement would not be what the skeptic movement is today if it hadn't been for James Randy. I remember being in his house and he's doing three or four uh, radio interviews on the phone in the morning. He's doing a couple of newspaper interviews in the evening. And, uh, you know, it was just go, go, go with him consistently. He could take a small story and make it into a big one. Project Alpha, the thing that I did, would have never reached its climax the way that it did if it hadn't been for Randy. There was an evangelist that I found was using an earpiece by the name of Peter Popoff. And we really don't have a lot of time to go into that. You want to find more about that, you can actually find put in hoax and pop off online and you'll find that. Um, but I found out that this evangelist was using this earpiece and I argued with Randy about it. And, uh, Randy went out and we got a friend from MIT and we found out it was his wife that was giving him information that had been stolen from people during the, uh, Mm -hmm. during the, uh, the evangelical meetings. And we took that on the Tonight Show as well. And that became a huge thing and shut him down. And that would not have happened had it not been for Randy he pointed out, you know, fake bomb sniffers, and he was able to get those shut down. Randy was just, he was a force. I mean, he was a true, true, true force.
0: Yeah, amazing guy. Are you amazed that the reaction you get from kids now, because you were a kid, and you were amazed with magic at an early age, too, when you were growing up? Yeah. Well, of course, if you're a kid, you're growing up. But you were amazed when when you were exposed to magic. Do you find that the I, I never grew up, just so you know. Oh, okay, fair enough, fair enough. Neither body did I. wise,
1: maybe mental
0: <laughs> Well, that's the saying goes. You're only young once, but with humor, you can be immature forever. Exactly. So right. there you have it. When you are bringing kids on stage and exposing them to your illusions, will I'll call it that, and they're impressed. Do you find that you're influencing a generation that? Was As you were influenced as a kid, do you find some of these kids wanting to go into your line of work? I'll call it line yeah, of so work. Yes, let me, let me tell you, you mentioned Randy a minute ago. I yes. remember an interview that Randy had when I was very young. Well, wait a minute, I didn't just mention Randy, you mentioned Randy too.
1: Yeah, yeah no, I did, I did. Yeah. But you mentioned him a little bit ago, you said, what kind of a force was he? Yes, exactly, and, uh, right. Yeah, and... Uh, what a
0: memory you have. <laughs>
1: I wish, <laughs> I wish. Um, so, I, and I remember in an interview, somebody asked he said, when will you feel like you've made it? And he says, um, when people tell me that they got their career or their love or their life, you know, in their work, um, because of me. And Randy had that many times. I mean, I didn't get started if it hadn't been for Randy. A friend of mine, Jamie and Swiss Pennantella, would not have their name Pennantella. They would not have been working together had it not been for Randy. Chris Angel got the name Chris Angel from Randy. And, uh, I, I've often said that myself. And now I, it's, it's come around to me many, many times where so many of the performers that are out there, especially the mentalists, but even the magicians have come up to me and said, I got my start because of you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I saw you perform and then I found a way to buy your books because I write a lot of books. I, I create a lot of magic. If you see any mentalists working today, they're probably using two or three creations that I have. And, uh, I, I hear that consistently and it means a lot to me because These people are also going out and putting smiles on people's faces. They take them away from the humdrum of everyday life, even if it's just for an hour or a half an hour. And um, I just love it when they come up to me and they tell me that. And, 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 you know, that's going to be given on to the
0: next generation as well. When you look at your show, do you modify it? I know it's different, each show is different because you have a different audience, clearly.
1: Yeah, it's a kaleidoscope of thoughts and ideas. It's right. all coaster of emotions. So every show, even though the effects may look the same, they're different because of the people that I'm actually working with. And as for modifying the show, I tend to do it in increments. Here's the thing that people don't understand about Las Vegas, especially when you're in a big showroom. I'm not in a small showroom. I'm in a 620-seat theater Mm -hmm. at the Strat, so I'm in the main showroom. In order to make one change, one major change in my show – I've got to bring in a, uh, a hippo operator. I've got to be in a Q lab operator. I've got to bring a, a sound technician. I've got to bring in a lighting technician. I got to bring in a lighting programmer. I've got to bring all these people to make one major change. And that could cost between five and $10,000 just for the day alone. So it's not cheap to do that. Right. So what I tend to do is I tend to make minor changes, even to the point where I might go, I remember years ago, actually, I thought I hadn't changed my show in years. And then I went back and looked at an old videotape and I go, oh my God, it's changed so much. Because <laughs> you change a word here, you change a line there, you add another little effect in here, you pull out that little effect right there and before you know it, it's changed completely. But if you came... uh You know, like a couple of months ago, and came a a couple of months later. You might not notice those subtle changes, but Mm -hmm. you come six months, you'll you'll realize it'll feel like a completely different show.
0: Well, doesn't that keep you actively engaged when you start changing it, especially around the margins? Little tweaks here, little tweaks there, and the tweaks that you don't have to call in the entire. No, 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 it absolutely does.
1: And, And I do a thing that we call jazz mentalism, and what that means is I have to think in the moment. Usually, when you do a trick, you have a set way of doing it. And you're stuck doing it that way and you present it the same way. The time is exactly the same for the music and for the lighting. Whereas with mentalism, I've got to think if this person says that, I've got to weave that way and then I've got to weave that way and I've got to weave that way to get to my final destination. So for me, every show is exciting because I don't know how I'm going to get to point A to point B because it's not a straight line. And that is part of the skill of being a really Mm -hmm. good mentalist.
0: But don't you also have to you mentioned earlier about calling in the crew. Any kind of major change, even though you're adapting to what the audience member is doing and you're doing it to accommodate them, you also have to know where your marks are, where the light is, yeah, where yeah, the sound there's is, There's certain lighting
1: cues, there's right. certain music cues, and so I do have to follow those as well. I've got to be in the right spot at this particular time, even if everything else is completely different in that moment because of the way that that spectator is reacting.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you find that your biggest reaction comes from the kids or from the adults, or is it a mix?
1: I think it's a mixture of both. There's a very interesting thing with mentalism that you don't get with any other entertainment. I will come out, for instance, I'll say, I want everybody to, I, I, if I was to ask want to think of a playing card, you might think ace of spades, queen of hearts, those are psychological, don't think of those. I want everybody to get a playing card. And then I get four people that I don't know. I say, you stand up, you stand up, go to that mic, you stand up, you stand up, you go to that mic. And then I go, okay, so your hands are in your pockets. Usually when you guys do that, that means it's a black card. Is it a black card? Yes. Hands. And I'll use their body language, and I'll get all four cards. And the audience doesn't, in that moment, really know how to react. <laughs> and in my early days, it would really, really throw me off because you're expecting this huge applause. But it's almost like a stunned silence in that particular moment mm-hmm. because after the show, people are coming up and they said. I was so shocked that you got those, but I didn't know how to react in that particular moment. So, mentalism is a little bit different than regular magic or any other form of entertainment in the aspect that when people are sitting there like with their mouths open, like I've got to take that as my applause sometimes.
0: Well, can't you meet with the sound guys? I know it would cost an extra grand, but have them pump in canned applause. So that you feel comfortable. (laughs) You know what?
1: It's funny you say that because uh, I'm the first guy to be ferret alive. I was chained, handcuffed, locked in a glass coffin, lowered nine feet in the ground. And we show videos throughout the show of different things that I've done. And this is one of those things. And in there at the Orpheum, because it was a live show, there is applause that we couldn't take out because William Shatner is talking in that moment. And, yeah, that does tend to get people to applaud a little bit more. I do know other shows in town that do put applause cues and those things in there. I don't know. I just feel like it's a a little bit icky to do that. Even though it's showmanship and it does that, I'd rather get the real applause itself. And I'm actually okay with them being there in stunned silence, so long as their reaction coming out of the theater mm-hmm. is to talk about the show and to talk about how incredible the show was itself.
0: No, that's a perfectly logical response to that. And the fact you can be comfortable in your silence speaks volumes because a lot of people are not, a lot of performers are not in that sense.
1: Oh, I do point it out to the audience. It becomes a funny moment. Actually. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. Before I let you go, what's the most dramatic illusion that you present during the show that you could share with us? without giving away what it is. Yeah, or so what every, every, everything
1: is. in my show is a baby. People always say to me, what's your favorite thing? And it wouldn't be in the show if it wasn't my favorite. So I have a lot of things, the whole show, and, and everyone, it just depends on how the audience reacts, because they all react differently on different things. If you're asking me to come to my show, what was your favorite part of the show? It won't be consistent. They'll all talk about something different, something that hit them emotionally. But the most dramatic thing is probably the knife roulette. I am the first performer ever to do a Russian roulette with knives. Since that time, thousands of magicians have tried to emulate me. And if you go online or YouTube, Vimeo, any of those, and put in knife roulette, you're going to see magicians that have failed. Even David Blaine performed it just recently, and uh, Spike went into his hand. Oh. Um, I, I have five knives. Uh, but how do you and, get them into uh,
0: the revolver? That's the thing I don't get.
1: <laughs> I used to do. A, I used to do a bullet catch. By the way, the Penintel bullet catch Right. That they used do. I gave that to Penintel. Well, I was anyway. just
0: thinking. Normally, a Russian roulette involves the revolver, and here you're sticking knives in the revolver instead of the shells and see no, which it No, no, now no. Doesn't let me know.
1: explain how it works. Okay, right? fair so enough. have five knives. Two of them stay extended. They're, they're that was a joke,
0: Manajek. It was a bad I, one. I know. I yeah. know
1: it was. I know. I know. I know it was. I know. I know. Uh, I am just skipping over it.
0: <laughs> fair enough. No,
1: yeah, but. Um, Two of the knives stay extended. The other ones are all closed and they're sealed in identical envelopes and they're mixed up. Five people come up and there's a lot of byplay, psychological byplay, and they select knives, but they don't know if they have a dangerous knife or just a handle. And uh my prediction is opened by another lady. I might say two and four have deadly weapons. Two and four go to the other side of the stage. I then lay down on a table, and the other three people come up, two of them stab me in the stomach. Oh. And uh, then the last one, I bring my hand down upon, and then the other two knives are seen to be actual, the genuine knives themselves. So that's probably the most dramatic part of the show. It's the part where people will be doing this exactly, you know, sometimes As I screaming, just did. yes, yeah. covering their kids' eyes. Yeah. Um, and then that—that's not the end of the show, though. There's a big, big reveal that happens at the end of the show, based upon something else that I did during the knife routine. So, yeah, I would say that's probably the most dramatic part of the
0: show. You got to come and see it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Banachek. He performs Banachek's Mind Games Live at the Strad Hotel Casino and Skypod, Wednesdays through Mondays at 5 p.m., in other words, Dark Tuesdays. For ticket information and everything about Banachek, go to Banachek, and it's B-A-N-A-C-H-E-K, banachek.com. You could follow him on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. And Banachek, thanks for being on the show. No, thank you. You were a delight,
1: my friend. Thank you very much. It was an honor to be here.
0: Thanks again. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. We'll be most, if,